Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Whatever time you're listening to this, please welcome to the Market Color Podcast. This is a weekly podcast dedicated to providing our listeners with a broad overview of the global financial markets, including a special focus on the Kenyan markets. And in order to deliver on this objective, we have structured this podcast to begin with an overview of the global markets, so as to give you a big picture perspective of the global economy. This is then followed by the Kenyan segment, where we review the performance of the domestic markets with a view to covering all the major asset classes. And finally, we wrap up the podcast by addressing the topical issue for that week, so as to bring you up to speed with the latest financial headlines. Ladies and gentlemen, this here is episode number 83, and as mentioned previously, to commemorate the first anniversary of the Market Color Podcast, I'm in the process of writing a book that is focused on fundamental analysis, and this will help our listeners to develop a better understanding of the global financial markets, and in particular, how economic data influences asset prices. A quick progress update, the publisher has come back to me with a comprehensive evaluation report that confirms that the manuscript indeed meets their publishing standards and they are therefore willing to proceed and publish my book. This is great news and I'm now waiting for them to forward the publishing contract for my signature and as usual we'll keep you posted on the progress as we move along. And now to this week's podcast where we are reviewing the performance of the global markets during the 47th week of 2023, and that is from Monday the 20th to Friday the 24th of November. And without further ado, this is your host, Jemu Huri, and together, let's dive right in. We kick it off in China, where on Monday, the People's Bank of China decided to leave its benchmark lending rates unchanged with a one-year loan prime rate, which is a peg for most household and corporate loans at 3.45%, and the five-year benchmark loan rate, which is a peg for most mortgages at 4.2%. The reason we started with China is because the latest news coming from China indicates that the country is grappling with a new spike in respiratory illnesses. The spike in illnesses became a global issue last week when the World Health Organization asked China to provide more information on the illness. However, the latest information from the World Health Organization indicates that there was no new or unusual pathogens discovered in this recent illness. And now shifting gears to the United States, where according to minutes of the last policy meeting, Federal Reserve officials expressed a little appetite for cutting rates anytime soon particularly as inflation remains well above their target level. The summary of the policy meeting showed that the Federal Open Market Committee members were still worried that inflation could remain sticky or even move higher. At the very least, committee members said policy will need to stay restrictive 
until data shows that inflation was convincingly shifting back to the central bank's 2% target rate. And in my research this past week, I came across a terminology which is being used to describe the current situation in the United States, where some indicators such as the yield curve are pointing towards a recession, whilst others such as the labor market are pointing towards a strong and robust economy. And the term that is being used is a rolling recession, which is a special type of recession that does not impact the entire economy equally and instead hits different market sectors at different times. This means that while the economy as a whole might not be in a recession, people in certain areas or particular industries could feel like they're in a recession. Put in another way, instead of a recession hitting the country all at once, it rolls through hitting different parts at different times, hence the term, a rolling recession. And from a rolling recession to a roaring stock market, in the U.S. stock market last week, the shares of major retail stores rose marginally as Black Friday kicked off the holiday shopping season. All the major averages registered a four-week winning streak as the 30-stock Dow Jones rose by 117 points to 35,390, whilst the S&P 500 ticked higher by 0.06% to end at 4,559, and the Nasdaq Composite dipped by 0.1% to close the week at 14,250. For the week, the Dow gained by 1.27%, whilst the S&P 500 advanced by 1%, and the Nasdaq Composite added 0.89% over the same period, marking the fourth consecutive positive week for all the major averages. In the U.S. bond market, U.S. Treasury yields were slightly higher on Friday morning as markets reopened following the Thanksgiving holiday on Thursday. The yield on the benchmark 10-year Treasury bond was up by more than 5 basis points to 4.47%, whilst the yield on the policy-sensitive 2-year Treasury note rose by a similar margin of 5 basis points to 4.95%. Meanwhile, investors are continuing to assess the outlook for interest rates, especially after the minutes of the Federal Reserve's latest policy meeting, which gave no indication of rate cuts in the near future. Markets are now pricing in a 99.5% chance that the Federal Reserve will hold interest rates steady during its last policy meeting for the year in December. In the commodity markets, the price of crude oil took a slight dip on Friday as traders speculated on whether OPEC Plus would come to an agreement on further production cuts. The Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries and its allies, which together are known as OPEC Plus, surprised the markets on Wednesday with an announcement that it had postponed its ministerial meeting to the 30th of November, and this was after producers failed to agree on production levels. 
The surprise delay initially caused crude oil futures to fall by as much as 5% as trading remained subdued due to the Thanksgiving holiday in the United States. Towards the end of the session, the price of Brent crude dipped by 0.4% to $81.06 a barrel, whilst the U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate crude slid by 1.4% to $76 flat per barrel. Meanwhile, Marbon Oil, which Kenya imports, rose to $82.92 per barrel, and this was up from $81.87 the previous week. And in related news, on Thursday, the head of the International Energy Agency called on the oil and gas industry to let go of the illusion that carbon capture technology was a solution to climate change and instead called upon the industry to invest more in clean energy. Currently, the oil and gas industry contributes only about 1% of the global investment in clean energy. For your information, carbon capture technology aims to capture carbon dioxide from industrial operations before it enters the atmosphere. And in the precious metals market, the price of gold rose on Friday and was on track for its second consecutive week of gains, boosted by a dip in the U.S. dollar as well as sentiment that the Federal Reserve may begin cutting interest rates. The dollar index has been deteriorating due to weaker economic data and was on track for a second weekly drop on growing expectations that the Fed could start cutting interest rates as early as mid next year. In the past week, spot gold rose about 1% and was last seen trading just shy of the key psychological level of $2,000 at $1,999 per ounce. In the cryptocurrency market, on Friday, crypto prices recovered from an earlier dip in the week as Bitcoin hit a new high for 2023. According to CoinMatrix, Bitcoin was on track for a weekly gain of 3.9% and was last in trading at $37,862 per coin, which was its highest level since May 2022. And in related news, according to court documents released on Tuesday, the chief executive officer for Binance, which is the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, pleaded guilty to criminal charges and stepped down as the company's CEO, and this was part of a $4.3 billion settlement with the U.S. Department of Justice. According to the Justice Department, the outgoing CEO was charged with violating the Bank Secrecy Act by failing to implement an effective anti-money laundering program and for willfully violating U.S. economic sanctions. And on that note, we now change scene to the Kenyan financial markets, where we start by looking at the domestic foreign exchange market, where the shilling continued to depreciate versus the major international currencies, but remained relatively stable versus the regional currencies. And according to data obtained from the central bank website, the official exchange rate for the U.S. dollar was quoted at 152.69 
compared to 152.11 the previous week. However, in the interbank market, commercial banks were selling the US dollar at between 156 shillings on the lower side to above 160 shillings on the higher side. And meanwhile, the sterling pound was priced at 191.31, and this was up from 189.53 the previous week, and the euro was valued at 166.52, up again from 165.26 the previous week. And on the regional front, one Kenya shilling was changing hands for 24.79 Ugandan shillings and 16.40 Tanzanian shillings. And to the Rwandis franc, it was posted at 8.12. On a year-to-date basis, the Kenya shilling has depreciated by more than 23% versus the US dollar. And given this current trend, I expect that the shilling will continue to depreciate for the foreseeable future. And this is mainly due to the country's excessive national debt, which now stands at above 70% of the gross domestic product and consumes about 65% of total revenue collections. And what that means is that for every one shilling that Kenya Revenue Authority collects, 65 cents will go towards debt repayment. On foreign exchange reserves, during the past week, Kenya's usable foreign exchange reserves declined by $63 million to $6.722 billion, which is equivalent to 3.61 months of import cover. This level of reserves is in breach of the central bank's statutory requirement to endeavor to maintain at least four months of import cover. And in spite of the recent funding received from both the World Bank and the IMF, Kenya's foreign exchange reserves remain under intense pressure, and this is mainly due to the increased cost of servicing our external debt obligations, which have pushed the country to the precipice of a sovereign debt default. In the money market, the liquidity situation in the interbank market was tight during the week as the average interbank rate ticked up to 11.17%, and this was partly attributed to the increased outflow of tax remittances that exceeded and offset the inflow of government payments into the market. In the meantime, the excess reserves held by commercial banks in relation to the cash reserve requirement increased from 16.8 billion shillings the previous week to 22.1 billion shillings. Meanwhile, open market operations remained active as the average interbank rate ticked up marginally from 11.05% the previous week to 11.17%. And during the past week, the average value that was traded in the interbank market increased significantly to 24 billion shillings, and this was up from 20 billion shillings the previous week. In the government securities market, the weekly Treasury bill auction was held on Thursday, the 23rd of November, and the central bank received bids totaling 27.6 billion shillings, against an advertised amount of 24 billion shillings, representing a performance rate of 115 percent. 
However, the central bank ended up accepting only 26.6 billion shillings. Interest rates on all the three tenors increased marginally as the bulk of the bids totaling about 23 billion shillings were concentrated at the short end of the yield curve, where the 91-day rate increased by 7.9 basis points to 15.44%, whilst the 182-day rate ticked up by 1.6 basis points to the same rate of 15.44%, and the 364-day rate inched up by 5.5 basis points, to settle at 15.58%. For your information, one basis point is equivalent to 0.01%, and therefore 100 basis points is equal to one percentage point. Please note that as interest rates continue to rise, investors remain focused at the short end of the yield curve, where they can easily reinvest their funds at a higher rate every 91 days. In the primary bond market, during the past week, the central bank announced a top sale for the recently issued infrastructure bond with a duration of 6.5 years and a coupon at 17.93%. The central bank is looking to raise an additional 25 billion shillings and the bond is offered on a first-come, first-served basis with a value date of Monday, the 11th of December. Therefore, for those of you who missed out on the initial offering, here is a second chance for you to invest in this tax-exempt bond. Up next is our topical issue, and this week we are looking at the World Bank's announcement of a new financial package for Kenya. The World Bank on Monday released a statement announcing a new financial package for Kenya that is valued at a mind-blowing $12 billion and is structured to be dispersed over the next three years, beginning in July 2024. The World Bank said that this facility is aimed at supporting Kenya to become an upper-middle-income country by the year 2030. The announcement by the World Bank is a major relief to Kenya, which is currently facing a U.S. dollar shortage that has caused the shilling to depreciate to its lowest level since the currency came into existence in 1966. The financial package will be dispersed through the World Bank's various funding agencies and will be in the form of loans as well as equity investments into various Kenyan companies. The World Bank revealed that Kenya is already accessing about $2 billion in concessional financing every year, and this will be topped up with additional commitments of about $8 billion. From the proposed facility, the World Bank said that $4.5 billion would be injected into public sector projects, whilst another $1.2 billion would be invested into various Kenyan companies and about $500 million will be in the form of guarantees to cover ongoing projects in the country. The bulk of the financial package to Kenya, amounting to $3 billion, will be dispersed through the International Development Association, which is an arm of the World Bank that advances concessional loans to poor countries. 
a further $1.5 billion will be dispersed through the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development, which lends money to middle and low-income countries that are considered credit-worthy. And as part of the package, the International Finance Corporation will also provide an investment portfolio of $1.2 billion that will be invested in various Kenyan companies. And on that note, we come to the end of this week's podcast. Thank you for listening to the Market Color Podcast. I hope that you found it to be useful and informative. And if so, please share it with a friend and help to spread the word around. I really do appreciate your assistance in this effort. And for your information, the Market Color Podcast is now available on all the major hosting directories. That is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, as well as Amazon Music. Please consider subscribing so that you can be notified every time I publish a new episode. And if you have any ideas or feedback on how we can improve this podcast, please feel free to reach me on the following email address. That is jamuhuriG at gmail.com. Jamuhuri spelled J-A-M-U-H-U-R-I. Once again, thank you for your continued support and I look forward to interacting with you again next week. And in the meantime, please do have yourselves a blessed and fantastic week ahead. And remember, the person you become in the process is more important than the goal. Think about it. Thank you and God bless.